Let's face it, living takes guts, and living a full life takes a lot of guts. Igniting Courage podcast is the place you can come to get a blast of courage from real people who are clawing their way through life just like you are. We're going to talk about big courage and also little daily courage. You'll hear people's opinions on how to build courage and how to summon it when you would rather join the circus and never be heard from again. So welcome. I'm glad you had the guts to show up for this conversation. Hey, everybody. This is an interview with my friend, Paul Artale. He's a friend of mine from the local Michigan National Speakers Association chapter. He's a motivational speaker, um, and he focuses on helping people break through their barriers and also helping companies supercharge their employee engagement by leveraging all the individual strengths. So there's a lot of great information there that he provides people with. He's also an author. Uh, He wrote a book, The Two-Year-Old's Guide to Work-Life Balance. You can get it on Amazon if you want. I'll put the link below. Paul's an awesome guy. He's fun. He's real. He happens to have been born with a physical disability, but he didn't let that stop him from achieving his dream of playing college football at the University of Toronto. So I'm excited to share his story of courage with you. Enjoy. All right. Well, thank you so much, Paul. You're here on the show, and welcome. I appreciate your time. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's dive right in here. What does courage mean to you? I think for me, courage is finding the strength to take that first step forward, even when it terrifies you, but you take that step forward because you know it's what you need to do to move in a positive direction. That's what I think it comes down to. Yeah, I love that, that whole activation energy concept of just mm-hmm. getting it going. And where where do you think that philosophy developed for you? Where's that shown up for you? I think it's, it's shown up in a few different places in my life, I think. You know, I, the most prevalent, obvious place it's shown up. So I, I was born with what some would cause, call a uh, physical disability, you know, my arms look a little different than the average person's. And um, for me, it was the decision to really attempt playing football. That was the first real time I did, that I think it, it really activated itself in my life. And it was courage on a few levels, right? Because I, I liked football. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was always kind of, I liked physical sports growing up. I grew up a fan of boxing and, and wrestling and, and when I saw football on TV that was like my game I just loved every everything about it D- despite all of that th- that love I was terrified to go try out for the team in high school because I just you know I didn't know I wasn't always the, the greatest athlete I oh if you see me run I resemble like Mr. Snuffleupagus in the wind right <laughs> like it's not yeah yeah right and so I mean it, I wasn't it wasn't a terrible athlete looking back on that I'm not a terrible athlete but you know, I, going into it, I was like, you know, I don't, I got a challenge, and then I'm not the fastest. I was, I'm slow. I got snuffle up against coming up again, and and all these things, and you know, I had bad training camps, and so like, I, I was just always, a, you know, I was really afraid early on. And really, it wasn't until my end of my sophomore year, because the way my high school worked, you would try out for the team in the fall, usually in, in the summer before. So going to that first tryout, that was probably the first time it was for me uh, that exercised courage on a whole different level for me because. It wasn't just going out on the field. I, you know, I, I could, in some ways I could deal with anything physically. I, I, that never actually scared me because before that I had done martial arts, and like I said, I, I like physical physicality. So even when I had a bad practice, maybe I remember 
taking a couple of good licks or whatever. I had no problems bouncing up and going, okay, give me another shot. But it was the idea of putting yourself out there, all right, announcing, basically, in, a, in essence, announcing to the world that you're trying this thing and seeing how teachers react, how friends react, how, you know, classmates react. Um, that, to me, was the first time, right? Because now you've gotten people who, who might doubt you. You've got people who are saying one thing to your face, but maybe sometimes saying other things behind your back, right? You're, you're dealing with your own self-doubt. You've got, you know, people who, who care about you who want to not see you hurt. So that's manifesting itself in different ways, too. And all this time, you just want, I just want to play football, right? That's all I want to do. <laughs> and so for me, that doing that taught me a really valuable lesson in, in persistence and hard work and, and, and not really listening to anything but your inner voice uh, on topics like this because had I listened to the voices, I would never attempted it. And, you know, uh, for me, it was just not, it wasn't just the attempt, you know, I, the way the camp went. I remember my first high school camp, you know, I, you get on the team and I, so I played my junior year and then my senior year on cut, right, and that my career is over. And I really loved the game. That, that kind of stung a bit. I spent my senior year re reporting the high school football team for the school paper. That was as close to the game as I could get. And then I went off to college and, you know, joined a fraternity, did all the kind of the fun stuff that you do with that. And, you know, I, I would go watch football games every Saturday. And I remember being in the stands one day. I went to the University of Ottawa. And one and then one day I'm watching Ottawa play Toronto. And I'm Canadian, if I figured it out by now. And I'm, we're watching them play. And I grew up watching University of Toronto was kind of a University of Toronto football fan growing up. I watched him win a national title in 93. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is kind of, I don't know, A, I don't know who to cheer for because the team I grew up watching was the team, I, you know, the school I go to, so that's a little weird. And then I just remember thinking, man, I'd give anything to be on the field. And then, you know, a couple of years after I graduated with my bachelor's degree, I enroll in what we call Teachers College in Canada, which is pretty much a one-year program to become a certified high school teacher. The summer before that happened, a buddy of mine bumps into me and he asks me if I was interested in playing semi-pro football. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, you know, this was like my chance. So, so I really you know, put myself, again, put myself out there and going, yeah, it's been a while, but I just, I just want to play ball again, right? And so I went out and tried out for that team. And, you know, it was that was less of a tryout, more of just they needed guys. And doing that, I mean, so you talk about courage there, just the idea of dusting yourself off after six years. And, you know, I'm playing in a league with guys that, finish their college careers. Typically, people go to semi-pro after college. And so I'm playing with guys who finished their college career. Some guys were, you know, in the pros or had pro tryouts, and you sort of have mishmash of guys like me in there, too. And so, uh, and I got banged up. I, dis I basically dislocated my elbow for two weeks, so that I basically just played on a, a crappy elbow the whole season. And as that season's wrapping up that summer, you know, another buddy comes up to me and noticed that I was, you know, at the University of Toronto in that one-year program. He says, you know, they have an open trial policy. You should go. You know, like you should try out and see where you get with it. If nothing else, you get to see what a college program's like. And you want to be a football coach in high school so you can, if it doesn't work out for you as a player, maybe they'll keep you on staff. And it gave me like every reason in the book to do it, right? And, you know, talk about courage, again, with that theme. It's, it was, took a while for me to hit the send button when I sent that first email to uh, my head coach uh, and say like, hey, this is who I am. I'm going to be forthright about this is what I look like. This is what my situation is. And I, I, I know it's an open trial policy, so, you know, give me a shot. And the answer was like, yeah, sure, come on out, you know, meet with uh, another of the coaches. And they gave me kind of a, a training program for what was less than the summer and all that. And so, 
you know, and that, that was a whole other level of sort of courage and guts, right? I mean, because if you think people looked at me like I was crazy when I played high school football, you should have seen the looks <laughs> on the faces when I said college football uh, and thinking yeah. about it. And, and But it, it was, you know, and there was a lot of ups and downs. Saying the first half of that season just watching games from the stands and then the second half of the Steven, you know, season putting on that jersey. The jersey, again, I grew up watching and, and playing and running to the stadium that I grew up watching and stuff like that. It was, like, surreal. Uh, yeah, and what like I a got little out bit of that, a Rudy moment. <laughs> there's that kind of Rudy-ish moment. Uh, and, but for me, the, the growth, the magic moment came not on the football field, but in the stands after my last game, sitting up there and, and just trying to make sense of this whole journey and what it meant. You know, you're going from cut to college in this six years, like this weird path, but you did it. And knowing that I was only going to play that probably one season, I could have applied for it. I thought of applying for a master's, you know, keeping my eligibility up for a couple more years. But, you know, at that point I was in my mid-20s and thinking about other things and really wanted to coach. I loved coaching. And I just remember saying to myself, I'll never let other people's thoughts dictate what I do again. I'll never be, and I'll never let that paralyze me, right? I looked back and thought about there's other teams I could have played for or tried out for between high school and, and, and playing at, at, in semi-pro. And I think at one point I counted seven different opportunities and I never did, right? Because I was always afraid because somebody had written my future. Um, a coach who didn't even my husband, I mean, I have nothing against him, right? The guy, he's a good guy and um, I have no animosity towards him. But think about, you know, letting other people's thoughts paralyze me and keep me back from what I really want. I said, I will never, ever do that again. I will always take an opportunity when it presents itself, even if it terrifies me and, that that has been my guiding principle these past few years, and it's really served me well. Yeah, what are some of the opportunities that you've taken advantage of that were terrifying? <laughs> I, I think, well, after I was done playing, I coached a lot of football once I was done playing. And after about, I don't know, a year or so of being in Toronto, coach, I would coach at the university, and then I would coach the high school team, and I would, there were city league teams. So in the summer, I'd be coaching city leagues and nighttime teams. Like I was coaching all over the place, and I eventually ended up just for fun applying to some some schools in the United States to come coach. And I ended up getting a couple of jobs offers at, at the high schools in, in the in Florida, but those didn't pan out because they didn't want to sponsor my visa. Uh, but uh, I, I got this chance to go be an assistant football coach at a really small college in, in Kansas, and they would pay for my master's degree. And I thought, well, win-win. At that point, I was a high school teacher. I needed the master's to be a principal because that's what I thought I was going to do with my life. And even though I had like a, tenured teaching job and a really in Canada, Ontario, the teachers union is really strong. So you get like these awesome benefits. I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to coach college football even more and I wanted to do it on a more permanent basis. And I think that first step was just accepting that job, having no idea. I mean, I had no, idea. it paid nothing. It, they paid my tuition. They gave me a room. They didn't even give me food to eat at the time. We negotiated that later about halfway through the year. But I mean, literally they're paying for my tuition uh, they weren't paying for my books. They were paying. They were giving me a place to stay on the condition that I was also like the dorm director guy, and <laughs> and that was it. I, I I had no idea. I mean, I, I had some money to pay for books. I wasn't worried about that, and I didn't realize when I I accepted there that some of the classes were kind of like off campus, and so they were like on a satellite campus. It was about twenty five minutes away, and I had no I had no idea when I got there. I had no idea how I would get the class. I, I had no idea because I had no car. I kept my car in Canada. I just didn't see it. Again, I had no money, so how was I going to put gas in it, right? So and if it broke down, I was a little <laughs> older. I didn't even know if it would survive the trip. 
So I just kind of went with like baby faith and, and it, you know, it worked out. I had a lot of good years of coaching in, in U.S. college system and met my wife through that. So speaking of courage, uh, she has a lot of it for marrying me. And uh, <laughs> that, 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 but that was it. I mean, that was, that was probably the first, in, I, at that point, again, applying what I learned from, from playing football was here's an opportunity. Here's something I love. Here's something I'm talking about. I have to go after it. You know, if football taught me anything, it's that when you, you know, you, when you look in the mirror, I, I say to myself, the guy on stage has to match the guy in the mirror, right? So, like, when I'm speaking now, you know, the guy, the guy on stage is me. That's 100% me. And as much as when I look in the mirror every day, I got to I got to be able to see that guy in the mirror. And if I don't, if I'm not living true to my principles and what I stand for, that I just can't live that like that. And so for me, you know, I talk, I tell people to go after their dreams. Now here I am, like I can't let fear paralyze me. And to me, at that time, I had nothing to lose. I mean, my my job was on hold for three years because I took a an educational leave of absence. So the idea was. Worst case scenario, I can coach college football for two or three years in the U.S., come back with a master's degree and keep teaching. Mm-hmm. It was like win-win. So there was a little bit of that. But, I mean, that being said, I was still terrified because I had no idea <laughs> how things sure. were going to turn well, out. Sure, you were leaving. Yeah, yeah, right? I mean, I left a stable job. You know, I, I had the leave of absence. I knew I wasn't coming back. I wasn't coming back unless it really, really didn't work out. And so, yeah, I, I took that leap. And so that was, for me, one of the – the first instances of, of taking that, uh, taking that leap. And there were a lot of bumpy roads working at that college and, and things that happened. But I learned that, it, you know, I talk about courage and faith, I think, go together. Taking a courageous state, step forward is great. And what, what helps me take that step, even when I'm terrified, is that I just have a faith that people will come out of the woodwork, circumstances will come out of the woodwork that will make me uh, a better person, that will just make the situation right, whatever it is. You know, I can't, I have the outcome I want, but sometimes that's not the one I get, but I just have faith that it all kind of takes me in the direction that I want to. And, and that, that has served me well. Uh, maybe it's just me deluding myself. I don't know, but it always works out. But something always happens that sort of just, <laughs> it either, it either pans out or you, you get a new revelation and you pivot. And I think, talk about courage. The other thing with courage is, I, I think the idea that you, you have to, you got, sometimes you got to have the guts to realize that you need to, you need to take a, you need to pivot. You need to, you need to switch something up a little bit. And so for me, after years of coaching college football, and I loved it, loved it. And I still miss it some days, but it, just the way that career was going, uh, it wasn't for, for not, for want of having a, a position. I was a special teams coordinator at the time when I, I left, but it was the idea that I, I wanted to go more behind the scenes of like football operations, maybe an athletic director and just through a series of different conversations, ended up working on my PhD at Michigan State. But that that idea that I was pivoting in a direction that was really foreign to me overall to go get a PhD. I mean, I've I've always been a pretty pretty good in school. I've been good at school, but um, you know, I'm going to like you know Michigan Michigan State's PhD program in, in in my field is one of the top in the world, and you know, I'm I'm in a room with people that are like you know studied under fancy professors and and got publications to their name, and you know, I'm a guy, I don't even know who these professors are, right? They say names, like, I have no idea who these people are. I'm like, yeah, they, they seem very nice. That, that, to me, was actually harder than stepping onto a football field because, you know, I felt really out of place in my first year or two in, in, in my Ph.D. program, and here I am coming off of, you know, not coaching football, and then that's so, but realizing that my life path needed to go somewhere else, um, that that was and and to, and to do that I had to give up something I, I loved dearly, uh, but to create a, a, an even greater love 
was yeah. crazy scary at the time. Yeah. What field did you go into? I went in, well, technically I went into higher education administration, but really my research is, is all on like um, organizational culture and work-life balance, right? So it took me into this kind of crazy world that ended up finding one of my passions, like one of, one of my purposes is, is to help people out. And so it was, it was like crazy, stupid. I would have never predicted it, but it, it worked out really well for me. That's awesome. You know, you think about somebody with, with arms that don't quite work the way, the way uh -huh. other people do. Uh, walking onto a football field, how many people, if you had to estimate a number, kind of were like, that's not going to work. You know, how much of that were you combating? <laughs> it's hard for me to say. I mean, it, it's really weird because, you know, I, I, I'm oblivious to a lot of it. I think high school's. I was too focused on just surviving in high school. I don't think I noticed it. I don't, um, but it was definitely there. I mean, I, I definitely say I could, in training camp places, I, I definitely noticed it more early on. Semi-pro is a whole other ordeal, but I think, you know, like by the time I got to college, at least outwardly, I didn't receive it. I mean, I, I, one thing I can always say about the University of Toronto, I never felt excluded. Um, and actually, ironically, I've said overall in my, my career in athletics, I have felt less excluded than I have in other other venues in my life, including, you know, all these years I used to work in higher education. Uh, I've definitely felt more excluded because of my quote-unquote difference than I ever did in athletic Because I think something that's yeah, there's always doubters and people that kind of look at you like a little crazy. I think I had more of an issue with some guys that try to take a light on me, especially in high school, like in drills and stuff. I'm oh. like, dude, like whack me. Like I'm a karate kickboxer. Like I've taken one to the face. I'll throw one at you. Like <laughs> let's do it. And that's just that's just my personality. So once that came through, it was good. But what I like about athletic culture, generally speaking, is that it really is about getting the job done performance. And that's always what drove me. So if there were doubters, and there, probably, and there were a couple now and then that – it didn't really matter because I always, again, I talked about those people that come out of the woodwork to help you, and there was always people that came out of the woodwork to help me. Mm. Uh, and, yeah. Or that I formed a bond with, and it wasn't about helping Paul. They were just like, you know, they were my brothers, right? I mean, they were the guys that were we were just part of the team, and that was always really awesome. Well, and it sounds like you've got to figure out what voices you're listening to because you've got the one in your head that's terrified. Mm -hmm. You've got the one, the doubters, and then you've got the supporters. And you've got a choice mm -hmm. of who you tune into. I do. I try to listen mainly to the voice in my heart, and because uh, the one in the head can sometimes really throw you off. Um, has its place. <laughs> the, the, the intellectual part has its place, but sometimes I just look at like what's what's the emotion, what's the overall goal, what am I trying to achieve? Nothing else matters. Then, you know, I need to I need and to is, go have this experience. Go ahead. Yeah, and is that where the courage comes from? From just keeping your eye on that why on the big heart beating you know pounding thing or where where did that courage come from to take that leap or to to go for that thing that you're terrified about i, I think yeah I, I, it comes from the why and it comes from in my opinion um an awareness of what happens around you when you go after that why and what i mean is it's you know i i, I sometimes tell the story of football training camp in college was more mentally tough than I was physically because you're just you're immersed in football for weeks, which is a beautiful thing, but it, it wears on you and a little bit. And you kind of sometimes I, I always need I'm a guy that likes to decompress, so you need I need a decompression time from a psychological standpoint. But I just remember like the first you know week or half it wasn't that great for me, right? I tested terribly, which again I'm not I'm not a super fast athlete, and 
my elbow was blown to bits. I didn't tell the football program because that was it. I'd be done if I told them I was injured. So I was hiding all that. And, uh, you know, which meant they couldn't wait test. And so I kind of used my disability to be like, I can't, you know, I can't do the bench and all that in, in thinking of and, and they put us up in, in like these townhouses. So there'd be four players to a townhouse at training camp. And my townhouse was like, was like a reality show because like, after, I don't know, four or five dates, I was the only guy left, right? Like, someone left after day one, another guy after day two, and, one, you know, another guy left, lasted maybe two or three days, and he took off. I'm isolated in, in this house by myself, uh, you know, and I'm not doing well. I'm not really performing in practice the way I want to perform, and I'm thinking, man, I, you know, what, what have I gotten myself into? Like, no one will think any less of me if I walk out of training camp. And the voice in me said, you can't. Yeah, the voice in me, you know, the only time I – I think I listened to it when it says you got you got you got to go one more round. You got to keep going, and uh, and sometimes that's my heart too. And anyways, um, I just remember the next practice going. Okay, I'm gonna go one more practice. And in that practice, I got like two quarterback sacks and just something sort of happened. I had just a really good practice and thinking. And then all of a sudden, I was like, you can do this, right? Like you had this experience. I could feel the energy lift up in me, even around my teammates. Like I could feel that. Like it was kind of a good. It was a good feeling. And so if I was having a bad day after that, I could tap into that. I could tap into that, like, you did it before, you can do it again. It wasn't a fluke, right? And then you would have those good, I would have those good practices. If I'm having a, a bad day speaking sometimes, it's the same deal. That whenever I think I'm having a bad day or, you know, that speech didn't go as well as I wanted, it's amazing how many times I'll get email right away or some somebody in the audience will come up and tell me how that, that changed their perspective or really helped them. And, and so I listen to those moments. The heart really, the focus, eye on the prize keeps you there, but when you're aware of, the impact that has on pe people around you and, and, and the universe around you, that's what I think keeps me coming back on a day-to-day -day basis because then I know I'm making progress. I'm not just hanging around to hang around. All right. So it's listening to that voice of, hey, this worked once before. This, this, is, this mm -hmm. is good. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. So where, where do you think courage is going to come into play next? I mean, do you have day-to-day -day courage that you have to put into play? Yeah, it's all, it's a lot of it's little stuff. And my, my courage for me right now, I mean, well, I, I think I'm a father of two young children. So every day that's courage because they, you know, whenever, whenever a young life asks you for advice, <laughs> you, you got to be confident what you say because uh, you don't want to mess them up too bad. But uh, <laughs> so it's, but it, so th there is that courage of even just having that responsibility, I think pushes you in a different way. But, you know, in my, in my speaking career, you know, the courage comes in putting myself out there, trying new things. And the biggest courage I found, you know, you know, <laughs> we jump years ahead in the timeline it, as a speaker for me, it's been the idea that I'm, I'm always going to be a guy who's going to speak from his heart. I'm going to shoot from the hip. I'm going to tell you what my truth is and I don't waver from it. And that to me is early on, especially as one of the scariest things you can do because you put yourself out there in a way that most people don't want to put themselves out there. Sometimes people are mm -hmm. too afraid. They just don't want to, right? It's like I'd rather keep my opinions to myself. But for me, um, I, that's just what I feel like that's one of the gifts I've been given. And I learned early on, if I'm going to be a speaker, I'm going to be authentic and as, as talented as I might think I am, or hopefully other people think I am that you, you, I have to, I can't, I think early on I try to say the, the pretty thing 
It never, you know, it doesn't never works out the way you want it to. And to tell the audience what you think they want to hear, or give them a safe answer. And now I just own my opinions. I own my strategies. I own everything I say on stage. And if people want to push it back on that, I'm actually okay with that. You know, I don't come and engage in, in heated debate with the audience or anything like that. But you know, not everyone agrees, and I'm okay with that. Ironically, you talk about courage. Up until a couple of years ago, I would not do a presentation on disability. Um, I just, I would not. I did not want to be branded that way. I didn't want to be stereotyped that way as a speaker, and I would rather be a motivational guy, uh, which ironically, if you think about it, it's own kind of stereotype, but I didn't want to be a motivational guy. Uh, <laughs> and as a, it's true, right? I don't, I don't want to be a disability speaker. I'll talk about my disability on swimming football. That's, that's okay, right? So I had this weird duality, and then as I got into the work-life stuff in my research, I really like, I really like talking about organizational culture and creating work environments that actually energize people and make them healthy and all that kind of good stuff. But I think I, I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to be pigeonholed. And finally, a colleague of mine convinced me to do a presentation for his pharmacy school, and I did it. And I said, I'm not going, I'm not going to talk about law and compliance. I'm only going to talk about it from like a social perspective. And he said, that's fine. That's great. That's what we want. And I did it, and it went over really well. And so over the last year and a half, two years, I've developed that presentation. I'm up to like a half-day workshop on it now. But what's, to me, the courageous part is it's not, just, A, it's, it's at some point in that presentation, I, I own the identity a little bit more. And I also talk about why many individuals with disabilities don't want to own the identity, why it's tough to own the identity because the stigma's around it. And, and so that takes guts. And sometimes to call, you know, some of the things they say in that presentation about you know, I don't want to get too much of a soapbox, but there are stigmas against disabilities, you know, of all sorts, still in society, to the point where we don't even notice that we have yeah. stigmas against them. So when I can bring that to light with people, and even, you know, some people push back, um, I'm okay with that now. I wasn't okay with that before, but I'm totally okay with it now because I learned, you know, that uh, if not my voice, whose? And mm. I didn't have a good answer for that, which meant I had to do it. <laughs> I had no one to pass the buck to. Like, you know, so I, I got, I, you know, I, I got to do it that, you know, people, again, I listen to the university you know, and I said, you, your perspective is yours and it's unique and it and has weight. So you, if you want to keep doing this, you should, because it needs to be out there. So I have, and I've developed that. Oh, and you had to find that authentic place with it too, where you were right with it. Yeah. And I think I had to be comfortable with, exactly. I'd be comfortable with it. And I think, and I'm actually glad I waited on it because it allowed me to develop my speaking persona, my sort of my sense of self as a speaker, it helped me develop that. I think I would have, it's hard to say, I don't think I would have progressed as a speaker the way I have now had I started with that as my topic. I just don't, I think I would have got, I, I know I would have gone to a vacuum. So I'm glad it happened how it did. But when I came to that crossroads of you got to you got to do it, so whenever, whatever voice, heart, feeling, whatever, I lost track of what functions do you want my body at this point in, in analogies, but uh, when the, <laughs> but when, when, you know, we'll go with my inner chi says that, you know, listen, like you can say no, but that doesn't feel right by saying no now, then I, I got to take that leap. That's my next evolution. That's my next evolution as a speaker. And here's the, the beautiful part of it all was that I learned, you know, I always said I've got like these, these kind of three legged speaking topics of like, motivation, leadership, you know, through my football journey is kind of what I started doing, then work-life or performance through my research, and then disabilities kind of just sort of come in there, disability awareness, and and they actually all kind of blend together because they're all kind of rooted in a lot of, in a way, I talk a lot about org culture in general and success, so they're all kind of, they all have like these common threads, and so 
it's actually been really kind of kind of cool to see it kind of blend with everything and just be become part of what I speak about, not what I speak about exclusively. It all comes together because it's all coming from that authentic place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nice. So if you had to give one big piece of advice to people struggling with that daily activation energy courage, what would you, uh, what would you tell them? Hmm. I'll tell them that the first step, probably what I started with, the first step is, is the hardest, but it's the one you have to take. And that if you're waking up every morning and saying, I need to do something, I need to do this thing, I need to go quit my job, I need to go after this career, I need to lose 50 pounds, I need to save my money, I need to move across the country and start a new life, whatever that it is, if you're waking up every morning, that's, that is part of your being, and you're, but you're just too afraid to do it, then you owe it to yourself to take that leap of faith. Because I talked about looking in the mirror. You'll never be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I, I'm, I'm okay with this choice. It's almost never going to happen. That is your, that is your, your, your conscience, your soul, whatever you want to believe it to be, telling you that something is wrong with your life and that, that implant in your head, that is, that is the correction to it. It might not be the ultimate solution. You might move halfway across the country. You might move to the coast and go, eh, that's not what I thought it would be. But you know what? Now you've got closure. And you've got a next step after that, and so mm -hmm. I think people that are struggling, you got, you got, you got. When you can make, when you can understand that fact, that something's wrong, and that's, you know, the 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 mind tells you, the body and the mind tell you what's wrong with your body. I mean, if we listen more to our intuitions, and and our bodies in general, I think we we would, we would put ourselves in a better place. It's like, you know, we've all worked in a job that we hated, <laughs> and we knew we hated it. And, you know, at some point, we, most of us probably hung on too long to that job, right? And there came a point when you look back on it, and I know I'm guilty of this, of going, man, I, I should have quit that job like six months earlier, right? But, like, for some reason, I just, I just held on to it for whatever reason. I, I needed the paycheck or whatever it is. I always hung on to it, right? Like that, but our bodies were already telling us early on that something is wrong, right? This is something's not jiving in this job. I got a bad boss. I got in a situation the work life isn't working, all that stuff. So it's the same thing. If you're struggling out there, you know, you got to listen to that intuition. You got you owe it to yourself to take a shot. You owe it to yourself to take at least one shot in your life with something that you want to do that's going to change the trajectory of your life. I, I once worked with a priest at one of the colleges I worked at. His name was Father Owen, and you know, and I didn't like working at that college. By the end of it, it was very toxic. And we had a really good. We would have these kind of cool conversations. And and one day he said, you know, at this point I gotten accepted to Michigan State. And I, by the way, it's courage. I got accepted to Michigan State for my PhD program. I had no funding. I moved across the country with no guarantee of money. And I actually volunteered at a career center for three months, and then I got, I got funding afterwards. But as I was going through that project, I remember Father Owen saying to me, I really want to go to this PhD. I think it's the next evolution of my life, kind of giving him all that. And he said, well, if it's life-giving, you should do it. He goes, clearly where you're at right now is not life-giving. It is taking life away from you. And it's always stuck with me, is what you are doing life-giving. If you are, if you can't, if you're struggling, that, 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 that thing, that's your body saying, this is, this is the life-giving thing we need right now. And, you know, wherever you're at, that, that's taking life away from you. It's taking energy away from you. It's taking away happiness from you. So you, you just got to take that first step forward. And on a much more practical level, 
with all of that. If you're having trouble with that, then you need to go. You need to get a coach. You need to find an expert. You need to recruit. You don't have to do it alone. Recruit someone. Yeah. Find someone. Find a mentor, whether it's an actual person. It could be a book to start, whatever it is. But find something. So I'm someone who's something similar enough to what you want to do and then learn from them uh, and take their advice so you don't repeat all of their mistakes. But you have to start somewhere. So take that baby step. Nice. That's awesome. I love it. Take that take first baby step. Do it. Take the baby step. Well, Paul, you're a rock star. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to put in the comments on the blog post how people get in touch with you, website and everything like that. But I just want to say thank Great. you very much for your time and all your uh, – your awesome, courageous knowledge. Thank you. It was great to be here. Had a lot of fun.